on today's episode, Getting Technical on Trails with Shane Johnston. Welcome to the Run Smarter podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I am a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. Welcome back, Run Smarter Scholars. At the time of recording, um, the gym in my house should be ready by tomorrow. The um, gym fit is coming tomorrow morning and then we're laying down rubber tiles. We're setting up the squat rack. We're putting together the treadmills, the the weight racks and yeah, it's all going to happen. And so I'll be sure to keep you updated on social media and give you hopefully a before and after and we can, um, yeah, uh, the Clinic would essentially be complete. I do have a few other ideas here and there, but um, for the most part, it'll be complete. Yesterday, someone came to set up my high caps machine so people can claim and pay um, in person. And so, yeah, it's it's exciting. <laughs> I know I said I'd keep you guys updated on uh, any injuries that I do have and any ways that I'm trying to train smarter. The last week, I actually hurt my back doing... Um, some deadlifts in the gym, not entirely sure why it caused it because I didn't increase my weight or increase my reps or anything. But uh, I do get this occasional mm, severe, I call severe low back pain every once every six to 12 months and takes a couple of days for me to, to overcome. And so stopped running. And when I was returning to a run after probably day five, um, once I had better range of movement or full range of movement, I then ran a kilometer and did some back stretches, ran another one and a half kilometers, did some back stretches. And once I figured out everything was going to be okay with my running, I just ran the two and a half kilometers back home. So 5k round trip. Once I was successful with that, I was pretty confident and just ran a continuous 5k the next day and no issue since. So, um, I guess that's one sort of thing that I do when I am injured and just wanting to test it out. I run a little bit, maybe test it out, maybe do some isometrics, maybe do some stretches, um, just reassess things just as a bit of a feel. And then once successful, I do a little bit more. If that's successful, do a little bit more, um, especially just when returning from injury, when you're not too sure how things go, because um, one of the main issues with this back injury is the rest of the back gets extremely fatigued because I wasn't standing up straight. And my, um, while when I returned to running, I was up standing straight, but still was getting quite a bit of upper back like fatigue. And so just wanted to make sure when I was running that those muscles weren't fatiguing and they weren't. So 
all is going great now. Um, back to running, back to strength training, and yeah, keep you updated on any other um, hiccups that I have in my training. Today we have Shane Johnston. Thank you very much for uh, to Virginia for who is a um, longtime listener for setting up this interview. She reached out to me on Facebook and said, uh, "My coach Shane, he'd be great to have on. He is deep into like." Um, trail running we can either talk about gear or talk about trail techniques or um, talk about his races that is actually won in the past he's won the delirious 200 miler and I thought it'd be great so we discussed um, our topics and we got him on and so we're going to talk about pretty much trail uh, how to best prepare for trails when we talk about the downhill technical stuff the surfaces running uphill the different paces the different gear that you might require and we answer some of your patron questions as well. And it was a great interview. Loved having Shane. Um, he's an exercise physiologist. He's also a race director. And he's done some pretty miraculous stuff in terms of performance when it comes to these sort of races. Um, so hope you enjoy. Let's get this interview underway. I'm pleased to have Shane Johnston onto the podcast. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Brody, on the Run Smarter podcast. Looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. If um, you wouldn't mind introducing yourself and just starting off with like your um, your expertise, your level of ex- expertise, and also your running history and how that is. Yeah, I've been an exercise physiologist for 12 years now. So that's just an allied health professional that specializes in the delivery of exercises for people with chronic conditions and injuries and helping them uh, obviously get better. And uh, this could be performance related or they yeah, might have complex uh, concerns. Um, and I do that inside my own sort of uh, clinic called uh, Velocero Health in, in Perth. And I've been a, a runner um, for quite some time now. I did my first marathon in 2012. I originally thought it would be quite a boring task uh, running the road for 42Ks. So uh, my friend and uh, myself uh, decided that uh, we'd go to the Great China Wall and take on uh, a marathon over there. Oh, wow. Which de- yeah, definitely uh, was a bit of a shock to the system back in 2012 and never cramped uh, that much in my life. And uh, it was a nice 36-degree day with 5,000 stairs. So, yeah, Jeez. that was that was where it all began in the running scene. And um, I think I, I placed in the top 10 there and sort of thought, I might be able to make a bit of a go at this and, um, yeah, got sort of addicted. Well done. And how did you get a, amongst the, the race director side of things? Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah. So after doing a, a lot of different races um, locally, but also I've been quite fortunate to, to travel and do some bigger scale races, uh, including like the Tokyo Marathon, Berlin Marathons, um and i've did a lot of triathlons so got amongst like sort of like the ironman scene and um i really wanted to bring like a high quality marquee event to western australia and um i was sort of exploring around the avon valley area and just thought it'd be like this perfect region um it's less than an hour from perth and um yeah, it's this beautiful corridor that no one had really explored from end to end before on foot uh, in, in sort of race format, and that's a lot to do with 
Um, there's a lot of private properties, uh, including like wildlife sanctuaries and stuff like that, that manage those areas. So we got some special permissions and um, made a, a 65 course from end to end that uh, you can tackle as a, as a solo or in teams of one to five. So, yeah, that's been really sort of exciting um, challenge for me on, on, the, on the other side. Um, so not just being the person at the start line, but um, growing from something from, uh, from scratch and uh, yeah, yeah, it turns into a, a little child that you uh, become very passionate about. Absolutely. <clears throat> and on top of your background as well, you actually have a pretty, I'll say interesting because I find it interesting, but like a, a pretty um, like sounds like rare medical history when it comes to <clears throat> exercise and things like that. Do you mind just explaining a bit about that? Yeah, so um, about five years ago, I was training up for the Perth Marathon and uh, we were doing a, doing a threshold set and I was running at around about 340 pace from memory and we'd been doing that for close to 10Ks and um, I just felt all of a sudden like this strong burning sensation in my right quad um, and it basically got to the point where my quad stopped functioning and more my whole right leg did and um, I, was, I was sort of limping along and I uh, didn't really know what, what it was and sort of came to a halt, did a few quad stretches, uh, had a breather for a little bit and then, uh, and then all of a sudden my leg, leg was fine again and I could start running um, you know, reasonably normal again. So I thought it was really weird um, to sort of have an injury that uh, debilitates you, comes you grinds you to a screaming halt and then all of a sudden it feels better again and didn't didn't know what it was and sort of pushed through it for a few years and then uh, started to actually read an, uh, an article in Runner's World of a person uh, detailing of similar sort of symptoms and um, they were talking about a condition called uh, iliac artery endofibrosis. So basically one of my major arteries that runs down into my right leg and um, um, has has a has a dysfunction to it. Um, people, it's more commonly seen in cyclists, and basically they believe it's a lot to do with the repetitive sort of knee flexion action causing some issues there. Whether it's kinking, but they see like a collagen build up inside the artery and it narrows down. And so, uh, when you're exercising at a some like a you know, going for a jog, quite often it can feel perfectly fine, but when it gets to a threshold point of needing more blood, it basically closes down and, and you can't get that blood through to the limb. So your, your whole lower limb's going hypoxic and that burning sensation is literally your, your, your muscles being starved of, of oxygen. Um, and you can feel the blood trying to shunt around around to other arteries. So you feel like your glute pump up and your hamstrings start to pump up. It's quite a a bizarre um, sensation. Mine's a little bit different. Mine's called a, a vasospasm where they haven't seen the build-up of the collagen inside the artery. So basically, I've just got like a, a spasm. Um, and I've actually got a meeting with a vascular surgeon this week to see what we're going to do about it now. We've been monitoring it pretty closely for the last, last year and uh, it hasn't got any worse. So we're going to see what we can do to make it um, possibly even better. Wow, very interesting. And mm. would exp explain exactly why when you stop exercising very quickly, those those symptoms dissipate and just because that blood supply is returning, it's no longer in that sort of kinked, hypoxic state. 
Yeah, it's really interesting. Like, so the, to test to find out if you've got it or not, basically, I go into a um, into a vascular surgeon lab, and they have a treadmill right next to the bed, and I basically do a sprint until it happens, and they tend to put you up uphill because it brings it on a bit quicker. And then, so that might take ten minutes or something like that. And then, basically, I can't function with my legs. And then they lay me down on the on the bed, and uh, they put the ultra the Doppler over the top of the artery, and they can see it basically spasming and clamping down. But um, they compare left to right legs and and pre to post. And beforehand, you can see, hear the blood just pulsing through, nice and sound and clear. And then after the test, it basically sounds like a washing machine in there, and um, yeah, like you can just see that obviously no blood sort of getting getting through. But then as you lay on the bed over the next sort of five minutes, and if you fitter, it starts to happen a bit quicker because you got better recovery time. But you can start to hear the pulse slowly coming back, and um, yeah, it's, it's just really interesting. So I've found that I struggle to finish a park run at, at a pace I would like to run at, but then. Um, what I've, I have discovered is that um, I can run, run run slow for very long periods of time. I recently just did the uh, Delirious West 200 miler um, from Northcliffe to Albany in uh, along the Bibbulmun Track in Western Australia, and that was 340 kilometres. And um, I ran that uh, non-stop from start to finish. I had somewhere less than 10 minutes sleep over over two and a half days or 55 hours. So, yeah. Jesus. Um, okay. Um, Is that the and, race you won as well? Yeah. So, I was fortunate enough to uh, hold the lead um, right to the <laughs> end. And uh, we had a very soggy course. Um, so, we didn't sort of expect to set a, set a course record. But we went about six hours under with my um, – I had an amazing um, pacing team. And uh, they kept me kept me going, and um, especially when I started to lose a bit of focus towards the back end. And um, yeah, I interestingly didn't feel overly like my I was quite alert still. I like, wasn't that tired, and my energy was good. I just found I lost the desire to keep on pushing towards that finish line just because it'd been going on for so long. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. it's a it's a good recap of like your whole entire history so we know we're in good company we know like we definitely trust the advice that you have based on those accolades that's great Mm. and the conversation i wanted to have around this topic today was trail running and any like little nuances or any insights that you might have for people to be successful in the trail running scene so i thought it might be a nice um topic just to start off with if someone has never ventured into trail running like they've only done road running and don't know too much about the environment that trail running encounters like what would you say is kind of the the main differences uh so the main differences when you venture in the trails is uh obviously the service can uh, vary quite a bit so whether you you come across like some pea gravel or large large boulders that you might be sort of jumping on and off uh, more muddy sort of slippery terrains or, or sometimes you're just literally in uh, in paddocks but um, probably you might also encounter some much larger sort of hills and uphills and downhills which you know do, does take a fair bit of skill um, to get used to or a bit of bit of practice and and sort of knowing how you can push or or you know sort of uh, stay within yourself to to go the full distance of the of the course. I I do give a very basic rule um, to people who um, 
might look at a course and go, okay, I'm looking in this national park and there's a five-kilometer five um, route there that's got 300 meters of elevation. Um, I would then say to them, just think about maybe adding on a kilometer for every 100 meters of elevation. So a five-kilometer course with 300 meters of elevation, think about it being more like 8Ks. Um, and, that, you know, it's a very basic rule but it, it can give you a better idea for maybe how long you're going to be out there for and um, making sure you're prepared for that okay so every 100 meters just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know i have just updated my five-day injury prevention challenge this is one email per day for five days learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury the sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. In elevation, we're expecting to kind of add on one extra kilometer for duration. So when it comes to like the overall effort levels yeah. or overall intensity of the race, that's sort of a, a loose kind of estimation of what to expect. Yeah, it's probably a slight overprediction, but yeah, it definitely does... Um does sort of put things in perspective like and it, it makes more sense when when you'd say doing a 30k race that might have 3,000 meters of elevation because then then it all starts to uh add up a bit more and then you're like okay so i'm, <laughs> I'm technically sort of signing up for like a um a, a 60k sort of race yeah. yeah and you mentioned like when it comes to the different terrain that it might require skill and practice in order to get better at those terrains how might one actually, is it like a structured practice where you work on drills around certain terrain or is it just more, just do more of the same, just get used to being in those different like terrains, different gravels, different surfaces underfoot and then you'll just develop more confidence or develop more strategies for yourself in order to be successful? Yeah, I think a lot of people make the mistake of not doing enough specific training with trail running. So um, just actually getting out there goes a long way. And whether you're just even hiking, maybe not necessarily even running, but just getting familiar with getting waking up those muscles that might be sort of used uh, in a trail running format. Uh, I think people probably more often should just go to even just like a, a slow, slow, a slight sloping uh, gradient downhill and just practice running with a faster cadence. So I always say to people something that's very practical is to try and sound quiet while running downhill because then you know that you're not doing a lot of impact. Um, if you sound heavy and, and you are getting a lot of impact, there's a good chance that you're putting a lot of forces through your muscles and your muscles uh, can only cop that sort of beating for so long before they get either very sore or tired. So, um, And there's no one doing that. You can't go back and sort of, um, you know, it, it doesn't matter how much you eat or, or drink after that. You, you basically your legs, legs will be trashed if you, if you keep on smashing it downhill. So definitely start with small... Um, small and, and gradual slopes and just practice uh, cadence. Um, obviously, a, a very common running term, um, but basically just trying to drive your knee through on the running cycle as fast as possible and sound um, nice and soft when you hit the ground. That's probably the easiest way. For sure. Mm. And what about if the terrain's like a, li a little bit trickier where you have to 
I guess, change up your foot placements and like look for boulders or look for like tree roots and change up where you land. Is that just like a skill that just takes time and practice or are they, are there specific um, ways to, I guess, get better at it quicker? So again, specific training will uh, definitely go a long way. I try and get people to go onto the trails if, if that's sort of their thing um definitely like sort of at minimum once a week but um ideally a couple times i probably personally like obviously i'm very passionate about my trails uh i, I probably run on undulating trail less sort of type stuff probably up to five times a week if, if not more some weeks and then um, the other thing to try and do there the a common mistake is when people are running over more technical ground is to look at their feet um, so obviously if you're looking at your feet you're going to slow down because you can't process what's coming up ahead so ideally you're sort of looking those two four strides ahead so you can sort of know what's coming the big thing with trail running is actually momentum. So if you're moving, especially if you're coming downhill, um, which tends to freak people out a lot, but if you're moving with a bit of pace downhill, it doesn't actually really matter too much about what you, you step on because um, even if it slips a bit, your body weight's sort of moving moving forwards. Uh, you just need to be moving at a pace that you can actually slow yourself down at, at the bottom. Um, so... The, the where it actually gets really dicey is if you're a bit uh, unsure and you start slowing down and actually start leaning backwards and you bring your center of gravity behind you, you what your, your where your foot strike is, basically then your foot can start to slip out from underneath you and you can land on your bum or on, on, on your hands. So yeah, if you can try and keep your chest over the top of your feet or if you if you're quite talent talented even slightly forward and really sort of use gravity to sort of flow you down um that that's an ideal scenario but yeah it definitely takes takes a bit of practice so start start small but um the dividends will pay in the long long term yeah i kind of had the similar lesson like i'm not much of a snowboarder but i'd have done a little bit of snowboarding and i tended to find that the slower you go the more you kind of feel every bump and the more you kind of lose control because the the snow has better like it dictates kind of where you go, but if you gain momentum, you carve the snow and you sort of dictate what the snow does to you. And when you're just talking about that, it just made me think of that analogy because the more momentum you have, the more, I guess, controlled momentum is a, is a better way. But like, if, like you said, if you're too patient, too cautious, you, you may be more prone to, if you were to slip, you go where you're slipping because the you know, you've got more weight on that foot and that momentum is just going to go exactly where that, that trip or the, the slip up occurs. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, in, in Western Australia, we have uh, pea gravel, which is like running on little, little marbles. And so if you, if you try and run slowly down that uh, or, or sort of start leaning back, you definitely sort of slide out. So I guess we just get to a point where you have to learn to sort of just actually run down it and, and, that it would be like that first time when you actually run down quite fast and you think, oh, actually that wasn't as bad as I, as I thought it was going to be. Um, but again, if there's jagged rocks out of there, you, you're going to be quite nervous. So try and pick uh, practice hills where I guess if you, if you did sort of come 
you know, sort of unstuck and, and trip over, you're going to land on a bit of a grassy slope and um, you can sort of get back up again and, and, and try again um, because you definitely will fall and, and they do say that, you know, if, if you're not falling over sometimes, it means you're probably not pushing yourself to the absolute maximum. Um, you see mountain bikers do it, you see snowboarders do it and, you know, I guess trail runners do it also. Yeah. And so would you, if someone's to fearful too anxious to find a really steep technical downhill and try and mm. practice these techniques would you kind of recommend they try something really easy but then repeat those those skills like you say look ahead look try and think you know three or four steps ahead and plant that even if it's just really easy terrain before progressing to something a bit more technical definitely and then run with friends that can sort of watch your technique and say you know you were looking down that time or you know, you look like you're sort of looking ahead and um, that, that sort of feed, feedback, even filming uh, yourself can be of, of great value because um, you can just be so caught up on, on, on what your feet are actually touching um, that, yeah, it can be really hard to sort of progress to that, that next level. Mm. And again, um, probably a nice little segue into uh, footwear um, is that, that that can also help with a lot of confidence. So if you're wearing like a road running shoe, like sure, you, you definitely can run trails in, in road runners, but um, if you want to feel a bit more confident, having a little bit extra grip um, can go a long way too. And I'm a big fan um, for running in a bit more of a maximalist shoe because running over rocks, they, they tend to come up through the sole of your shoes and bruise your feet and you know it, it can feel quite uncomfortable. But having just that bit of extra cushion, um, I think my Ultra Olympus have got about a 33 stack on them. So you can hit a big rock quite fast and 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 again if you've got that nice forward momentum it it doesn't seem to to matter so much um and i also find that different treads underneath shoes can can uh, be quite useful on on different surfaces so um the more plastic rubbery sort of treads will grab nicely onto sort of dirt and small rocks and bits of um like tree roots and stuff like that where you often get also now under shoes like a bit of soft foam and the soft foam can be good for grabbing onto big granite rocks that are quite slippery so having a bit of mix um, underneath your shoes as well um, can again help with a bit of extra traction and give you a bit bit more confidence. I could definitely see the downhill technical stuff of trails is something that would be like a massive game changer if someone hadn't done trails before would be like essential if you wanted to perform and like get a good performance with trail running. And like I said, it's like a skill and something that's very, very foreign that people might not experience before. But do you have any tips as well for uphill running? If the, if it is quite technical terrain, any little tips that you might have? Yeah, the, the big thing with uh, uphill running is to uh, try and work out what scrub, what gradient, so when it gets too steep, if you need to power walk or if you can keep on running. A, a lot of people sometimes probably try and run for too long and then the heart rate goes through the roof and they've burnt way too many matches and, uh, and they won't get them back. 
Um, where power walking, you often find that, uh, you know, and, and time yourself doing this, like do some practice runs, running versus power walking, and see if you get to the top in a very similar time. If you get to the top, you know, 10 seconds slower, but your heart rate's sitting 20 beats lower, then, you know, that's possibly um, a good 10 seconds spent. Um, so, so doing that, uh, I find a lot of people get, hold their breath too much when, when they're going uphill. So, uh, put a big emphasis on, on just relaxing and, and focusing on that breathing. And then if, if it is a bit sort of technical, try and be really uh, consistent with your steps. Like don't take large steps. Like just take lots of little small ones and, and take your time getting up there. Um, and then you can also use poles, uh, which are great. Um, I, I love the um, black diamond carbon Z poles. They're, they're really easy to fit into your packs, and um, and they're really lightweight and and strong. So basically, you can um, get a good rhythm. Some people like doing single arm actions. I prefer a bit of a double arm action, but. The best thing about them is if you're going up a surface that's a bit slippery and um, you're a bit unstable, you can just slam your poles into the ground and they'll stop you from falling over. And you can share the, the load distribution to your upper body as well and use a bit of that um, strength and that will help keep the heart rate down a bit lower. Yeah, there's lots of benefits. Yeah, nice tips there. Uh, for my experience, I've done a little bit of trail running in the past and I remember doing an, an event here in Melbourne or Victoria, and there was a hill that was so steep that I tried to run up it because I was quite fit at the time and hadn't really experienced myself to that level, that gradient. Not entirely sure what the gradient was, but everyone was walking it. And I'm like, I'll just pass them. Like, I'll just run past them. Mm. And thought that, like, when I was working my way up, it felt like running was just so inefficient and it almost felt like I was running on the spot. Like I was trying to push off and try and push myself up the hill, but I ended up just like my momentum just wouldn't carry me further. So I'm like, I'm actually better off walking and like kind of walking with my, my hands on my knees and kind of just like pushing my hands through my knees. It was that steep, um, but definitely can see that there would be a certain turning point where the gradient just, just, doesn't compute for to continue running and there, there'd be some sort of um yeah there'd be some sort of gradient where it's better off walking power walking than than the running i can definitely yeah. contest to that and the, the hands and the knees is, is a great tip like it just getting gets your body weight forward a bit more and you know again helps with the gravity concept um and just bracing through your knees with your core the one thing you can find that that is probably a position where people really tend to hold their breath so a big focus on that breathing in through the nose and out through the mouth but um yeah that you notice the there's a lot of people who practice walking and when you get to a hill in a race they absolutely like smash it up there and then there's people who, who stand quite upright and dawdle their way up the hills and you know potentially lose lose a lot of time so um yeah it, it's something definitely worth practicing um i, I quite often do uh, a set on a treadmill as well um where you just sort of jack it up to 15 20 percent and I might spend half an hour continuous just just walking uphill, conditioning myself for that. Um, yeah, that that's quite quite valuable as well. Yeah, good tip. 
Mm. I want to get through some patron questions first before we move on. Um, the first one I had came in from Holly. So thanks for asking a question, Holly. How often should I concentrate on downhill training? And is it fine to be a, a part of uphill training as well? Or should the downhill aspect just be um, one specific session on its own? Yeah, this is a great question. Um, downhill running is, is obviously, as we've just talked about, great to practice um, for skill perspective, but also for just building up um, what we call eccentric strength in, in your muscles, so basically like the um, impact strength of, of those muscles. And um, what you've got to be a little bit careful with is that doing that impact a lot all of a sudden uh, could make you a bit more risk for, for a lot of injuries um, and, and one that would be of, of major concern is sort of like bony stress injuries so just phase it in gradually you know like if last week you were doing no downhill running and then the next week you happen to do two or three sort of repeats and that that's a lot more than what you were doing last week so then just slowly add another one on and then have weeks where you, you, you might not do any sort of specific downhill running but making sure you are periodizing that and, and being progressive with it um, is, is very important and um, just make note as well that it is quite normal to pull up quite sore from a, from a downhill se- session with what we call delayed onset muscle soreness or DOMS and uh, that would be a lot higher than what you would get in a specific uphill running session. Um, it's completely fine to mix uphill efforts with downhill efforts. You'll find that uh, downhill efforts will sort of smash the muscle and the bones probably a bit more and not so much your, your lungs. Um, going uphill um, will work your, your lungs a lot more, especially if you're doing those uh, like sort of VO2 efforts around that five, six minute sort of time frame. Um, but yeah, I think that's actually one of the reasons why we see such great athletes um, come from Australia is we have a lot more sort of undulating terrain. If you go over to Europe, um, you can do uphill for a very, very long time and then downhill for a very long, long time. Um, where you obviously tend to get a bit slower towards the back end of like a thousand meter climb where we can keep it nice and punchy and strong the whole way through. Mm. It's almost a trap that some runners, if they're not familiar, might underestimate the impact that downhill running has because like you say, you're not getting that stimulus cardiovascular wise, like it's not strenuous, heavy breathing type of running. And so people can easily overdo things because if they've listened to any other episodes of this podcast, they know a lot about adapting and making sure they're not exceeding their capacities of certain tissues, but just not underestimating that impact, that ground reaction force is just accentuated as soon as you thud yourself downhill. And that's where a lot of um, loads accumulate. And like you mentioned, that eccentric control, um, requires a lot of force through the tendons and a lot of force during through those muscles and so even though you might not be really taxed cardiovascular wise it's still very important that you do so gradually and make sure you're not underestimating those because like say people get overuse injuries thudding themselves downhill um, above their their capacity to adapt or beyond what they can currently tolerate and so um, I think I heard in the answer there, especially with Holly's question around how often should you do it, um, it would just be making sure that you don't overdo it and potentially like depending on your goals, um, similar to speed work, like if you want to get 
really fast and, and you want to do more speed sessions and you'd slowly integrate it, it might be the same for hills. Like if you have a big hilly event coming up, then you might want to integrate more and more and more. It might build yourself up to like several downhill sessions per week. But um, as long as you're very, very Definitely. gradual with building up and tailoring to that specificity. Yeah, if I, if I had someone that wanted to introduce it initially, like but one session a week and maybe three sessions in four weeks would, would probably be enough to give them a good new stimulus. But uh, when I was training for Ultra Tour Monte Rosa, which is a 100K race with 6,500 metres in, in Europe with long, you know, kilometre continuous declines, I was doing uh, probably two good sessions a week and one of them could have been five hours just going up and down doing hill repeats. So, um, you know, from one end of the spectrum to the other, they're all relative and it just sort of depends where, where your goals are and, and what your history is. Um, but I'd say with eccentric training, probably one of the most dangerous things is that um, when you're doing them, you can often feel good and, and when you feel good, you often want to do more. But uh, just stick to your plan. Trust trust your plan and, and make sure that the plan's sort of progressive and, and gives you plenty of rest. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Uh, Amy asks, um, is it worth investing in trail shoes if I predominantly run on a treadmill slash road and sometimes trails? Yeah, I, I guess it really depends. I think if you were running flatter trails, um, you probably don't really need need trail running shoes um but if you're running undulating you know quite steep stuff i i would i would spend the money um to get trail shoes and yeah one just i think you enjoy it a lot more and uh they, they also just tend to be a lot more rugged and built for kicking rocks and you, you'll just chew through your road runners anyway so you might think you're saving yourself some money by um, not buying some trail shoes but um you know probably end up going through your road shoes twice as quick yeah i know i have um my road shoes i have very very thin soles and i know if i'm like running on say loose gravel it would chew through those very quickly and so I yeah. try to preserve my shoes and um, swap them out for something a bit more, yeah, a bit more yeah. robust when and it comes to I those. also just found recovery just a lot better. So I used to run in a low-profile um, trail running shoe quite a bit. Um, and then I tried some Maximus ones and doing like, say if I had like a double long run on a weekend, like I would find it really hard with like a low profile shoe. But when I swapped to more Maximus shoes, I just found my recovery and that was a lot better. And, um, yeah, and, and they're just specifically made for that. Lastly, we have Alan, one of our patrons who submitted a question and says, um, what are some strength exercises to increase the, the speed of my downhill running? And she asks, potentially it might just be a lack of confidence for her taking off at a faster speed, but just mm. wanted your advice and potentially some advice around some strength training. Yeah, so it really depends, I guess, what strength training you have done in the past. But if, you, if, you, if you're a beginner and you want to introduce some more plyometric or like um, impact style strength training, you, you classic go-tos start with uh, just some skipping. 
um, just getting those tenders used to some real high loads. So, um, or you can just do pogos, so jumping up and down without the skipping rope, starting with double feet, progressing to sort of single feet. Um, some other great ones uh, are just squat jumps, um, conditioning for that impact. Um, eventually you can add weight vests on or a barbell on your back and uh, remember just always to focus on, on good quality reps we're not looking for, for massive massive reps um, then uh, you can do things like depth jumps like jumping off box and then jumping back up um, they, they are also great for load and you can do that from like a quad perspective where it's an actual jump or you can do it from a bit more of a, a springs perspective from your ankle joint um, so yeah, that, that, there's some good starting points, but also just putting a lot of time into building up your hip and knee stabilizers. Because if you haven't spent much time on trails and your knees and your hips and you're going from side to side, like they're going to get a bit of a shock. So just literally waking them up and um, even sometimes pre-activating them before you hit the trails might help um, make help, help you feel a bit more sort of stronger and more activated. And yeah, and and the ultimate, obviously, is to, like I try and get most of our clients, if they're really serious about their trail running, doing two strength sessions a week. doesn't have to be a lot of volume. Um, we usually, I usually try and prescribe programs that take about 30 to 40 minutes, um, and they just really focus on bang for buck exercises. Um, I only prescribe two good quality sets, and I prescribe at either end of the spectrum, so either quite heavy um so around sort of six to eight reps or quite um high endurance so up, up around about 20 reps and I, I don't tend to focus much around um the 10 to 12 rep range because it's more of a hypertrophy range and i find a lot of endurance athletes aren't really looking to build a lot of mass they're, they're happy to you know st- stay a, a lighter weight and work on their sort of power power to weight sort of ratios but you know we just sort of get a lot of single limb sort of work done um in particular for downhills you want to have good what we call eccentric hamstring strength because if you're rocketing down a hill um you can be doing sort of sub three minute pace if you're at the top end or even relatively you will be running at faster speeds than you normally do um and your hamstrings need to be strong enough to sort of catch that and and not not tear and it's such a common injury we see in running so doing um some real slow release hamstring exercises um goes a long way too and i think there's there's a couple of things to unpack there one it would be to all right you say the the high quality more plyometric stuff is really good but you're probably looking to get trying to have a foundation strength and foundation control and quality first before that um, especially if you're doing say single leg plyometric stuff so you mentioned potentially um, just doing the the generic strength maybe like some single leg work to see what the control of the hips and the knees are like before doing some single leg plyo stuff but I think you could probably get away with double leg plyo stuff, like you say, with box jumps and skipping, um, even though the quality yeah, isn't yeah, really yeah. up to scratch. Again, it always just comes down to volume. Like, you know, in a lot of ways, like running is, has a strong plyo sort of nature to it. Uh, you know, if you run 5Ks, you're probably going to do 2,500 foot strikes on each side. So they, they need to be able to tolerate the, these forces. But, yeah, just spending some time 
in the gym. It always seems to be the first thing that goes out of people's programs, but then when they get injured, it's the first thing we put back in. So, um, yeah, just trying to be more proactive rather than reactive and, um, you know, feeling strong whilst running and, and especially out on the trails because it, it can be quite savage and, um, and, and, you know, it just seems logical to sort of expose your body to that in a controlled environment rather than chucking it out on a trail and things get pretty dynamic and un, sort of unexpected pretty, pretty quickly. Yeah, which kind of brings me to the other point I want to discuss, which was if you train the, your running dosage accordingly, like that downhill running session can be a part of your strength training. Like you develop enough strength to tolerate downhill running by just running downhill also, just doing so in a in a dosage that is well within your adaptation zone so you actually get stronger. So it can be accompanied with that strength training that you're just describing. And like I say, if you don't overdo things and things are in the that that, that sweet spot, then um, you're reaping the rewards as well. Definitely. Um, and, and that's why I highly recommend if, if you're really keen on being in the trails more, actually just doing specific training goes a long way. I, I race against a lot of road runners that are, are a lot fitter than, than I am, but you know I can beat them sometimes in a, in a trail run because they just get tired legs towards the back end of races or, or they don't know how to pace themselves Um throughout a course because they've gone you know they've just seen the profile and go you know well they haven't seen the profile they've gone oh it's a 10k race and i know i run 10k really fast on the track and then boom they're gone um so yeah look i think definitely um there there is a nice um muscle activation component from just simply getting out in the trails there is still a, a big difference between getting in the gym and doing that so we still see people who run trails a lot get injuries and and perform better when they do actually put gym in their programs. Um, So, yeah, but also I'd be very careful introducing a whole heap of variables all at once as well. So if you're all of a sudden going to finish this podcast and go and buy a new set of trail shoes and then go to the gym and start running downhill and uphill sessions definitely phase them all in um because it will be a massive shock to the system yeah mm. again follows very nice um foundation lessons that we have on this podcast so uh, music to my ears there how about as, yeah. as we're wrapping up any other mistakes or any other trail running misconceptions that you might hear um, that we haven't already discussed? Um, I, I think a, a big thing with trail running is um, one, one other tip I'll definitely give people is just to be prepared. So like if you are going to go out into um, national parks and stuff like that, just to make sure you enjoy it, like have a running vest and, and take – Make sure you take enough food and take enough fluids because it's a you know it's a lot harder to get access to this stuff in the middle of bushland than down your suburban street, um, and take a little bit more rather than a bit less. Like um, you definitely, if you run out of stuff, it can be quite dire. And if you finish the run and you have a bit bit left over, then you know there's no real harm done, and you've possibly got a bit stronger from running with a little bit more. A little bit more weight, um, you know, and just having things like your phone and your snake bandage and that go, go, goes a long way. So, 
that that's obviously just like a bit of a, a bit more of a safety thing. Um, I, you also just find I, I think the trail running community is is a great thing to be part of. They're just they just seem to be great people. Um, everyone seems quite relaxed and they just want to go out there and have fun. I love that trail running is a lot more um, sort of experience-based. It's about getting out there and exploring and going on a bit of an adventure rather than necessarily looking at your watch and seeing if you're running sub five minute pace for 10k's or something like that so um the watch in a lot of ways becomes a little bit irrelevant until you finish your run and see how long it took you you really need to learn how to run off field and and practice that i've definitely seen that in the the trail runs i've um raced in i think just the trail running community it's just a different vibe it's a little bit smaller a little bit more community feel and less ego driven it's more just about like encouraging each other and like the love of nature i think it's um it's slowed down both like physically but also mentally i think nature does amazing things to people (laughs) and if you're in a in amongst a whole crowd during like a, a big marathon and it's a road race and everyone's kind of crammed in like sardines it's definitely a different different vibe everyone's sort of on each other's nerves and i don't know i think it there's a lot of ego there's a lot of competition there's a lot of like the the bad type of motivations that are that's just in my experience i don't know if yours is quite different but definitely there's a i just feel more peaceful when i'm out on a trail and when i'm in a trail event um so yeah i think that's sort of the same lines as what you're talking about yeah, I'm 100% down that line. I raced a lot of triathlons and I had a bit of an epiphany and realized that it was taking me away from the things I really enjoyed and and I just found that there was a lot more intimidating sort of A-type personalities around that sort of setting and went to the trail scene and, and you know, I feel like the trail scene is sort of like even if someone was, um, you know, coming second and they came across the first place runner on the ground and you know sort of injured that they would definitely stop and, and help them um and not really care about it. like it's just that the nature of um of that style of racing and and also um it, you know everyone just loves being out there and um super super friendly and yeah look up your local sort of trail um events and just go down and have a go and you also find that quite often they got very generous cutoff times. So you might think, oh, there's no way I'm going to ever get around that course. Um, but you can actually usually walk quite a lot of the course and, and still come through within the allocated time. And um, that that's great as well. Yeah. Nice. Is there any like social media channels or um, like a website or anywhere you want somebody who wants to learn more about trails and more about you or about your, your races where they, where they can go to learn more? Yeah. So if you want to keep on um, following what we do clinically, we quite often put out little tips and uh, little videos about um, running or other sorts of injuries, um, you can go to our business called uh, Valetudo Health. Um, so V-A-L-E-T-U-D-O Health. And that's on Facebook and Instagram. And then if you want to follow a bit more trail-specific stuff, you can jump on Transcend Trails. Um, that's our event. But, we, yeah, we like last year in the lead-up, and you can go back and have a look at that. I've put up 30 tips. Um, so there's heaps of stuff on there about gear and nutrition and um, 
different sort of techniques that I use with racing or just general trail running. Um, so, yeah, that, that's a great start. And, yeah, feel free to flick us through a message and see how we can help you. Thanks a lot for that, Shane. I think um, it's definitely got me more excited about trail running and there's a lot of technical stuff and a lot a lot of tips from a nice experienced trail runner that I've learned a lot from. So thanks for coming on and sharing. No, thanks for having me, Brody, and um, thanks for all the things you do for this great community. And uh, who knows, maybe one day we'll see you on the start line of Transcend. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> And that concludes another Run Smarter lesson. I hope you walk away from this episode feeling empowered and proud to be a Run Smarter scholar. Because when I think of runners like you who are listening, I think of runners who recognize the power of knowledge, who don't just learn but implement these lessons, who are done with repeating the same injury cycle over and over again, who want to take an educated, active role in their rehab, who are looking for evidence-based long-term solutions and will not accept problematic quick fixes. And last but not least, who serve a cause bigger than themselves and pass on the right information to other runners who need it. I look forward to bringing you another episode and helping you on your Run Smarter path. <laughs>